This is FM 100.5, 101.9, AM 1450, and WGNSRadio.com. Rutherford County's Place to Talk. Hip, hip, hooray, let's give a cheer. It's 9 a.m., the signal's clear. Our favorite host is in the chair. The Truman Show is on the air. It's The Truman Show with Truman Jones. A look at the politics, news, sports, and people that are shaping Rutherford County. The Truman Show is on the air. The Truman Show is on the air. Now from Adams Place on Memorial Boulevard, it's The Truman Show on News Radio WGNS. Here's Truman Jones. Good morning, Rutherford County. Of course, it's the Greg Tucker Show. And, and uh, Greg, there is a lot of things going on uh, at this time of the year there when is. we start talking about history and, yeah. and so many. One great event. Uh, well, no, there was two great events on, on uh, December the 7th. One was Pearl Harbor Day. And one was I got married to Jackie on, on uh, this particular day, on the 7th of December. On the 7th of December, yeah, hopefully just a, Just a few days ago. Yeah, and uh, today is the 7th. But I want to begin by remembering, well, I had a, a very pretty and impressive and in part sad experience Saturday. I mm. uh, was a pallbearer for my friend Roy Eakes and uh, it was a graveside service and it was a full military service wow that's great yeah and beautiful service now Roy did not have uh, any he never married didn't have any children and I wondered who the flag would be presented to and one of his grandnephews was the family representative and Mm -hmm. I'm sure that was something Roy had either specified uh, because he had very carefully planned for his funeral. Uh, he called me, oh, maybe six or eight months ago, uh, and well, not that long after the lockdown, because we hadn't seen each other in quite a while. He called me just to catch up, and in the course of the conversation, says, Greg, I'd like for you to be one of my pallbearers. Oh, wow. And I don't think I'd ever been asked in advance like that before. Uh, and I teased him. When he, when he asked me, I says, well, give me a date. Let me be sure I hold that open because I wouldn't want to miss it. And he laughed. And uh, But uh, we had Roy on the show uh, some maybe a year ago. Yeah, a couple of times. A couple of times. And he told us about growing up in Westview. And mm-hmm. he was a, a career journalist. Uh, but he was more on the graphic side than a, than a writer. He did mm-hmm. the graphics, and uh, of course he started out at about eight years old riding a bicycle and throwing papers, the Daily News Journal, and then uh, worked there, and, and that's where I met him. And it kind of interesting, unusual circumstances. Uh, he had just fairly recently come out of the military. I know he did uh, occupation in Japan and uh, may have had some Korean time as well mm-hmm. uh, about 10 years older than me he's 83 when he died and I walked into the Daily News Journal one day and uh, asked to speak to someone about getting some work done I was talking to a secretary of receptionist there at the front counter and I said 
more or less those words. I'd like to talk to someone about getting some printing done. And this hand comes up from down under the counter and kind of makes the shape of like a business card. <laughs> and I hear a voice say, oh, you need a card or something printed? And Roy was under the counter looking for something. Yeah. And a, a moment uh, that I remember because I, I learned the obvious money speaks. And without seeing him yet, I said, well, no, I want to get a newspaper 12, 24 pages twice a week. He came across that counter, grabbed me, and took me in to talk to his boss, McFarland. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was at the time a student journalist up at Vanderbilt University. And after the initial contact, and Roy began to understand where I was coming from, literally, he was a little concerned. Oh, really? Oh, I mean, a Vanderbilt journalist, and this time in the 60s, I'm talking about 1966, 1967. And uh, as it turned out, we did do business, and I was, of course, influenced quite a bit by being my family home, Murfreesboro, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I would come down, and eventually I'd delegate to others, but initially I would come down on Sunday night and Thursday night, or maybe it was Monday night, yeah, Monday night and Thursday night, and Roy and I would work elbow to elbow uh, from about 7 p.m. to about 2 a.m., putting together the newspaper. Mm -hmm. Then I'd leave, and it'd be printed and delivered the, the next morning. So I could tell that first uh, week that he was, who is this guy, and, and what's his attitude? And, uh, you know, those Vanderbilt guys are kind of snooty. And, uh, uh, amen to that. Yeah, yeah. and, and uh, you know, this was the time of the Vietnam uh, conflicts and mm -hmm. all that. And, uh, yeah, there were things that I'm sure we disagreed on, but we didn't talk about those. We yeah. talked about what we had in common. And by the end of the first week, we bonded up, and uh, we'd go get a cup of coffee or something at 2 a.m. He knew the places to go around. Where in the world did you go get a cup of coffee I, did, I didn't quite know where we were. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, we got to be quite close. And then... Uh, I graduated and, and went on to other things and then went to Washington, D.C., and we lost track. Mm -hmm. and that would have been 1970, uh, 70, 80, 90. In 2005, Roy saw my name somewhere. I won't get into that as a political <laughs> era time. And he called and talked to my wife. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I got back home, whatever, um, and Triad said to me, did you know a Roy Higgs? I said, yes, is he still around? Is he still? And from then on, we again got to be very, very good friends. Yeah. And you'll remember he was a big Moose Club fella yeah. and was delighted to be reminded that my father had designed the building uh, for the Moose up here and it visited many times. As I remember he took us as guests over the moose once or twice, and except for the atmosphere, uh, it was very pleasant. I learned something about him that I hadn't noticed before in talking to his family and friends on Saturday. Uh, he was a quiet, big tipper. Uh, in fact, they worried about him giving away all the money he had. He frequently was 
giving money to somebody that he thought needed it. Mm-hmm. But uh, he would, for example, uh, go into the club over there, the Moose Club, where they had a, a bar, uh, order two drinks, and when he left, he'd leave a $20 bill. Wow. You know, uh, at least double what, you know, what he had ordered. And that was a pattern that uh, he followed. He, let's see, I can't remember if I needed to find him uh, in uh, the last decade. Uh, for a while there, he had a seat right next to Rough House, Old Red Busters. Mm-hmm. And uh, almost always I could find him over there during the lunch hour and such. But uh, I miss Roy. And uh, it just reminds you that we're all moving along and eventually it's our time to go. And uh, he was at the, uh, what do they call it, the, the soldier's veteran, the veteran's home over at, uh, yeah, yeah the, not, not the VA itself, but the old soldier's home, we called it there yeah. beside it. That was his last residence. And uh, shortly after he moved in there, uh, we got together, and he was telling me about how he was now doing a newsletter for the veterans' home. Uh, he was always publishing something, preparing and Did publishing Did you ever get something. a copy of that? I think so. I think he sent me the first issue. Wow. And, uh, of course, he did the Moose newsletter for years and wrote about us and my father. Uh in his newsletter after we got back together, but uh, Miss Roy. Yeah, we need to mention that one of our principals and school superintendent, Carl Buckner, passed away oh, just yes. recently, and uh, he he was uh, part of that uh, where everything was changing. He was the very first principal at Riverdale. So you think back in those days, uh, everything was changing rapidly because we, we had gone away from Central being the major school till they, they just spread it out all over the county. And uh, it, it was an amazing time when uh, all the energy level came forward and, and people were quite busy during that time. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned... Uh Pearl Harbor Day, mm-hmm. and I hope everybody today, and I've been pleased, I've heard several references on the radio, yeah. uh, several stations on the radio, to uh, remembering the day that will live in infamy. Mm-hmm. It's even a hard word to say. In fact, whenever I hear that word, I think of uh, President Roosevelt and his, yeah. and his speech. And uh, you and I are not quite old enough, but if you talk to those that we know that are a little bit older, uh, every one of them can tell you exactly where they were and exactly what was going on when they heard the president's speech. They didn't hear the news until the next day on the 8th, but they heard yeah. the speech, and he announced that uh, the Congress had joined them in declaring war on Japan, and so shortly after that we declared war on Germany, mm-hmm. and uh, we went to work as a, as a unified country, uh, all facing the... The, the common uh, threat, and uh, I remember where I was when you first heard the speech. Yeah, where are you? How I was in a cradle at the time. <laughs> you okay? <laughs> I bet you were right there near the radio, I, though. Every time, everybody was. Every time that speech comes on, and of course they have film of it. Uh, I ha- I have a chill come down my back. Is that right? It's unbelievable how he was able to manage that. And he had to literally hold himself up because his legs 
would not do it because of right. his polio that he had at right. the time. Right. And it, 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 you, you take a, a, a look at it and you can see his face and he is totally in pain at that time. Yeah. But uh, the speech was just, it's one of the greatest speeches I've ever heard in my life. Well, it said, you know, we've got to come together and yeah. work together and we're yeah. going we're gonna to deal with this and gave the entire nation, I'm sure, confidence. It's interesting, uh, I refer to December 7th as the day the world changed, because it, it really did. Uh, prior to the attack, uh, the public attitude, at least in Murfreesboro, was kind of indifferent. We knew there was a war going on. Mm -hmm. We knew that Japan was being uh, aggressive. Uh, but it was almost treated with uh, kind of a wry, wry humor. And an example of that, flipping through papers just before the the, the uh, attack earlier in the, the fall, I found in the Rutherford Courier a uh, a reference to Japan mm -hmm. and uh, underlying a reference to a possible threat of Japan. And the quote that was in the Rutherford Courier, maybe something more like a quip, uh, reflects that we were aware of it, but we really didn't think that this was something that we were going to deal with. And uh, obviously a, a comment like this today would be unthought of, but the quote was, why should we worry about a war with Japan? Question mark. Everybody knows, of course, that the Japanese are yellow. And that was, oh, you know, kind of reflects the, you know, we know what's going on, but we're not, we're not worried about it. Uh, and they were already uh, outside our borders with yeah. their subs and things like that. Yeah. Uh, well, things changed dramatically, of course. Yeah. Uh, before December 7th, though, it's interesting that the, well, you mentioned uh, Central High School, mm -hmm. and they had a football team, and in the late 1930s... We always had a football team. What do you mean? <laughs> a year later. In the 1930s, and I know it went on until the time you were talking about, mm -hmm. uh, 1970, uh, that was one thing that brought the community together was Central High School and Central High School football. Yeah. And uh, obviously that changed quite a bit like everything else with December 7th. But prior to December 7th, probably uh, a, a major problem and concern in Murfreesboro and in the, the community uh, was the football team. First off, they only had 16 players come out for it. So the coaches were out recruiting. Yeah. But more critically, a uh, problem was they had no place to practice. The practice field up until that time was what they called Carr Field, K-E-R-R, -R, named for the superintendent. The what time. did you call it? I believe most of the time we pronounced it Carr, but it looks like Kerr. Kerr. Yeah. Kerr, yeah. Kerr Field. Uh, but then later I knew B.B. Carr, and he mm -hmm. called it Carr. Yeah, uh, of course. Yeah. Uh, the problem was that the Mooney campus, Mooney was a private school up on East Main, mm -hmm. and uh, 
it had closed. It, for a while, it was a public school, but finally it was closed, and the property sold off. The property extended from uh, fronting on East Main south, about the equivalent of two city blocks. And there was the field that was used by the Mooney uh, students originally, mm -hmm. and that was the practice field for Central. Uh, Central, of course, was at the time down on... Uh, uh, which street did Central Front on? Uh, Maple. Yeah, the original Central Fronted on Maple. And I've talked to fellows who remember when it was time for practice, they had to get to the bus on time to go up to Kerr Field. Or they had, if they missed the bus, which was not unusual, mm -hmm. they had to run to get there in time to meet the bus mm -hmm. and uh, practice. Uh, what a bunch of sissies. Yeah. I had to run three miles to to home after we got through practice. Well, that accounts for your not being particularly <laughs> slow. <laughs> uh, but uh, the Mooney property had been sold off and subdivided, and homes were being built in what had been the field. Yeah. And uh, there was a real concern about where to practice. They were trying to practice in the little field next to the school before you get to the Spence house there. And... Uh, uh, just before uh, the season opened, or they came to the critical point, the superintendent announced that he had made a deal with the private property owner. And we mentioned this property last week. Mm -hmm. There was an open area down near the uh, ice cream plant, or the ice cream, uh, the Red Rose Dairy, yeah. that uh, was frequently used by these uh, itinerant carnivals and things like that. And the school superintendent made a deal with the private property owners to let them use that at least for one season mm -hmm. as the practice field. And, uh, of course, they also had a problem with uh, where to play their games because they had also played on Kerr Field. I was sitting on a big rock. Yeah. That's all that was, was a rock. Yeah. Uh, well, the uh, new president over at uh, uh, State Teachers College at the time, mm -hmm. uh, Q.M. Smith, a lot of people knew that it's Grantland Rice area. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Where they were practicing? Yeah. Okay. Uh, and Q.M. Smith agreed to let them use for their games, the actual games, the field out at MTS at State Teachers College. So that guy worked out. Another thing that's interesting, if you look at the movies that were playing just before the uh, attack, they were, as you would expect, let's see if I can come up with one of A lot them. of English movies at that time. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, let's see, The Princess Theater in the week just before the attack had a movie called Shepherd of the Hills. Who starred in that movie? John Wayne. Absolutely. Remember who is... Who, Harry uh, Carey Sr. There you go. was in there. Very good. That's how, he's the one that taught John Wayne how to walk. Is that right? Sure Harry did. Carey did? Yeah, Harry Carey Sr. Oh, my goodness. A Lusty Tale of the Ozarks. Uh, over at the Roxy, which was uh, on the square, Tim McCoy in Six Gun Trail. Uh, and, you know, they have a serial. Mm -hmm. uh, the last chapter. Of Every the, Saturday. Yeah, yeah, the last chapter of the serial play just before the attack. Mm -hmm. It was The Spider Returns. Wow. Now, what's interesting is if you go to... 
uh, after the attack and uh, into maybe the 1st of January, the movies began all to be war-oriented or what we would call politely propaganda. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it would be somehow or another they would work into the into the script something to uh, boost the morale. And, and buy war bonds. Yeah, buy war bonds. Probably. Yeah. We were watching, uh, let's see, which one was it? We were watching an old movie and the the male and female leads were beginning to get romantic and the phone rings and she jumps up and answers the phone and the next time you see her she's got on her civil defense helmet and her mm-hmm. you know and she has to run off and leave him there because she is a ward captain or something yeah. like that that's so, when the USO began yeah well there's some beautiful USO movies yes. that uh-huh. uh, were the same thing a lot of promotion of of war bonds and patriotism and doing your duty Hollywood was pro uh, America back then. They well, really were. They certainly joined with everybody else in, yeah. in this war effort and did what they could do, which is make movies. And, well, including uh, a lot of them uh, went into the service, a lot of the actors did. They did. And actresses. Uh, some of them went in and actually got into combat, and a lot of them went in and worked in uh, entertaining the troops mm-hmm. and morale building and war bonds yeah. and things of things of that sort. Everybody remembers the Bob Hope uh, travels across over into the war areas. He continued doing that until uh, until he wasn't able to anymore. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, that's the day the world changed. And uh, it's evident right here in Murfreesboro that uh, everybody's life was affected and changed. Yeah. It's amazing uh, how short-sighted we we were at that time because we were already sending supplies over into England and and France and and uh, a lot of our ships were being sunk by the U-boats during that particular time. We lost a lot of tonnage uh, to the U-boats and uh, I'm uh, it's still curious to me how patient we were uh, and because that had been going on for a year or two we were getting ready, though. Yeah, I mean, we were, we were every, ready. I, the machine was already getting started. Yeah. Uh, but the American people coming out of the Depression mm-hmm. were isolationist as in a majority. And I think Roosevelt very well knew that he couldn't just, uh, on his own initiative, declare war on Germany, yeah. even though we were obviously being uh, uh, hurt by what was going on. But... Uh, and a lot of historians already will say the Japanese made a very severe mistake because they brought the, the power of the United States into the war uh, yeah. against them. But, but we were already getting ready, which is the amazing thing. Churchill was having a lot of conversations with Roosevelt behind the scenes, and they were begging for help at that time. And we were doing as much as we could to keep them afloat. But at that time, we weren't ready for for any type of major uh, war. Um, We've got a caller on the line. Caller, welcome aboard with Greg Tucker. Good morning. Guess who your caller is? Hey, Casey. How you all doing? Gentlemen, you, you know, Casey, I, I'd be offended if you didn't call in on Monday while I'm here. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> so you all got a church and show this morning. You know, I moved here 
boy, my family over there, I'm too young to move here. They drug me here from a place called Smyrna, Tennessee. You all heard of that town? Uh, I vaguely heard of it, yes. <laughs> and yo, you all have hit on some memory days this morning. And I, I was just scared. I was so young then. But you all have hit on some points back in the good old days. But you all have about, I've had to always have a problem with wars. It's just something about war that, and I, I just, just, I just had a problem with war. But, you know, and that's the problem I want the Christian people to kind of listen to this part. When they, but if all through the Bible, it spoke of wars, didn't it? Yep. It really did. But I just had a problem. And I remember when, when I was, grew up a little bit, the Vietnam War started. I heard you all talk about that a few minutes ago. And, uh, you know, a lot of my friends had to go. I lost some friends over there. Yeah, there were a lot of people drafted during that time. Yeah, that's what it was. And we, I went to the, we had to go down there to Nashville and to the draft board and went through all that. And I'm, I don't mind telling anybody, I was scared. Because I had a problem with wars. Let's come back to Mother's bro. I, I remember the year, I don't like to use this word either, integration came to town. And we had to leave Bradley School. I remember the teacher, Miss, I can't remember her name, it's so long ago, but she told us that you all won't be coming back to Bradley next year. We didn't know what was going on, what was happening. Yeah. And we went to Critchlow. And I was the quarterback for Critchlow School. I'm going to ask you all something there. You all, you all know the sisters, the ladies that lived on Warner Street. And one of the sisters ran an antique shop in town, up, up, up town there for years. Y'all know them? Uh, um, I'm it? having a hard time. I have to know a little bit more about it. Miss, I think like was, was it Miss Dury's uh, antique store uptown? Anyway, I used to kind of help them, them, them out for a quarter. Well, I think I made a quarter an hour, so you know they're paying good back in those days. Oh, yeah. I'm surprised you're not a millionaire. <laughs> yeah, you should have invested that. The reason, the reason I'm telling you, you all, you all tell you doing a lot of good stuff, but those were the days that I, I tell you, it was a lot of good times back in those days. And you remember, yeah. you all were talking about wars, and I remember comeback. They were coming to you on TV. Yeah. And I tell you, I, I just didn't care too much for wars, but all, that's one problem I had, uh oh, I hate to say this, but I might say it, with the Bible, you know, all through the Bible, it spoke of wars, didn't it? Yeah, and uh, especially David, David one of, was one of God's uh, 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 main characters. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. But maybe just, you know, okay, you all were speaking about the parks here in town, was it Granville Rice? Yeah. Uh-huh. I used to have a guy with the name Doug that laid uh, uh, marking down for Grandma Rice. And Mr. Ray Dufferin? Yeah. Yeah, we was all, I was a little bitty boy, but I would go over there and help them out. They'd buy me popcorn and, and the honey buns. And, oh, <laughs> I'm going to leave you all alone. I ain't going to take up all your time. Current Bakery was my favorite store in town, y'all. Remember it well. <laughs> I'm going to tell y'all how, how much, how expensive a honey bun was. We could get a honey bun for a nickel. Oh, my. 
Can y'all believe that? Yeah, and you get a, a six inch, uh, six ounce Coke yeah. for, I think, for, uh, I think it was a dime. I believe yeah, that's yeah. right. Oh, I think it was a nickel, wasn't it? Oh, it may, it may have been. I remember when it was a nickel. You, yeah. Double Colas and those little small Coca Colas, they were so strong, I couldn't have drink those. Oh, they were good back then. <laughs> I ain't going to take them all y'all time, but y'all talking about the good old days. They were good old days, Casey. Princess Theater used to let us in for six cold tops. Y'all remember those days, those Saturday mornings? Oh, yes. yes Stay sir. there a half a day. Yeah, I'd go up there <laughs> one morning, well, a few mornings, we would go up top. And, well, you know, the kids were cut up, and I was sitting there sitting by myself. And I remember Saturday a few times, they put everybody out but me. So I had to sit up there by myself. I was, luckily, I... I have some raisin in me, so I didn't get up and cut up. But <laughs> I appreciate y'all, gentlemen. I'm listening. Thank you, Casey. I, I really appreciate that. Uh, you know, the theaters have always been a main part of, of, of uh, our uh, history right here in Rutherford County. We're going to have to take a quick break, and then we'll be right back with Greg Tucker. Hi, this is Greg Tidwell with Bell Jewelers. Customers like to shop local as long as they feel they're getting a fair price. And when they come to Bell Jewelers, they find that a fair price. We have the perfect gift for everyone on your list at Bell Jewelers. Beautiful diamonds, colored gemstones, and beautiful watch brands that we have here at the store. You know, we have the nicest staff. Bell Jewelers, 821 Northwest Broad. We're right across the streets from Tooch Restaurant. How are you feeling today? More than an empty question, it's a real reminder to reach out to coworkers, friends, family, and neighbors. Remind them to get the care they need. Someone you know may be delaying important emergency care, chronic care, or emotional care. At Ascension St. Thomas, appointments are available now with strict precautions in place for your safety and our care. Ask about virtual visits. ERs at Ascension St. Thomas Hospitals are open 24-7. Get the care you need at getsthealthcare.com. Have you been hoping to win $1,000 a day every day for the rest of your life with the added excitement of a chance to win instantly? Well, with Cash for Life with Quick Cash, today could be your lucky day. Give it a try. Simply add Quick Cash to your next Cash for Life purchase for a chance to win instantly. But wait, there's more. Then watch the nightly Cash for Life drawing to see if you win $1,000 a day or week for life. Cash for Life with Quick Cash, only from the Tennessee Lottery. Game-changing fun. Please play responsibly. Somewhere out there, a math teacher's school loans were forgiven, allowing her to focus on paying it forward, not back. Somewhere out there, a parent is breathing easier, knowing their child's college education will cost a little less. Somewhere out there, a Hope Scholarship just helped a student open the door to a brighter future. And they all have players like you to thank for the $5.5 billion raised for education. Because every time someone plays the Tennessee Lottery, education wins. The Tennessee Education Lottery, game-changing, life-changing fun. Now, an update from the WGNSRadio.com News Center. I'm Ron Jordan. Murfreesboro Parks and Recreation is offering a free drive through Christmas display at Cannesburg Village. The events every Friday, Saturday, and Sunday evening from 5.30 to 8 p.m. now through December 20th. Visitors will remain in their vehicles to view the light displays. Part of Interstate 40 in Hickman County closed last night for a while due to a crash that killed two people near mile marker 149. Officials say it involved a tractor-trailer and single-passenger vehicle. Early reports indicate traffic was stopped or slowing for backed-up traffic when the passenger vehicle rear-ended the trailer. 
Two people in the passenger vehicle died in the crash. State Representative David Byrd is in the hospital with complications of COVID-19 pneumonia. Byrd's relative shared on Facebook that he was diagnosed with COVID at Wayne County Hospital Saturday night. His doctor wanted Byrd to be transferred to St. Thomas, where he was taken by helicopter due to ambulance availability. Byrd represents District 71, including Hardin, Lewis, Wayne, and parts of Lawrence County. Police on the lookout for men wanted on multiple warrants who nearly hit deputies with his vehicle as they tried to arrest him in Laverne. The Rutherford County Sheriff's Office's deputies approached Stephen Tyler Ralston, the 100 block of Rocky Talk Street Sunday. He reportedly drove off, almost striking the officers. You'll find his picture on our website, WGNSRadio.com. Officials say Ralston is a confirmed gang member with the Aryan Brotherhood, has a history of being armed, and has made threats to law enforcement. He will not go back to jail. If you see him, don't approach. They ask that you contact your local police immediately or call the Rutherford County Sheriff's Office. Socialize with us on social media. Log on to Facebook.com slash WGNS Radio. I'm Ron Jordan reporting. News updates around the clock when it breaks and on demand at WGNSRadio.com. We are News Radio WGNS. Liberty Mutual Insurance Company presents... Doug. Fasten your seatbelts, folks. We'll be prepared for takeoff. Limu, how cool is this? Your first time flying. Ah! Oh, I didn't mean... Listen, Limu, you might not be able to fly, but you do something even cooler. You tell strangers that Liberty Mutual customizes their car insurance so they only pay for what they need. Sir, do you have a certificate for your service bird? Liberty, 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 Liberty. Get a customized quote at LibertyMutual.com. Napa know-how. Right now, get a five-quart jug of Napa full synthetic motor oil and a platinum filter for just $22.98. They're an iconic duo like salt and pepper, a hammer and a nail, or the holidays and awkward hugs. You can't get one without the other. That's Napa full synthetic and a platinum filter for just $22.98. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. General state's pricing. Sales price does not include applicable state local taxes or recycling fees. Offer ends 1231.20. Listen live to WGNS Radio on our website and Alexa or Google devices. Search WGNS Radio for on-demand podcasts in iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Plus, we have direct links to podcasts at WGNSRadio.com. Good neighbor weather. For this afternoon, we'll see mostly cloudy skies across the listening area with a high near 42 and then partly cloudy tonight and lows near 27. I'm meteorologist Nick Carlisle on News Radio WGNS. Right now it's 31. Premier Six Theater is open. They're excited to see you again and will be showing some classic movies you'll be sure to enjoy. Check MurfreesboroMovies.com for showtimes for Premier Six Theater. They're now open. From NHC's Adams Place, home of Premier Senior Living on Memorial Boulevard. It's the Truman Show on News Radio WGNS, FM 100.5 and 101.9, AM 1450, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com. You know, Greg, there's there's one thing that well, we that's not quite right when you're on my show. It goes too darn fast, and it's too much fun. Well, yeah, we only got 15, 20 minutes left. Well, I wanted to know one more thing just before uh, the uh, attack on Pearl Harbor. Mm-hmm. Murfreesboro, the community, was really celebrating. Uh, we talked about what was important to everybody back then. 
Central High and its football team. Yeah. Well, they had managed to put together a pretty good team, even though it was slow getting getting organized. Mm -hmm. And there was a competition that you and I have talked about many times called the Apple Game. Yeah, with Clarksville. Yeah, well, the year before, in uh, 40, uh, Murfreesboro got beaten pretty badly, and it had in its trophy case the, the preserved apple. And so there was some real uh, interest in uh, getting that back to them. Well, uh, the game ended with a 25 to nothing victory by Murfreesboro. This was Thanksgiving Day. Was, That's big time. Yeah, Thanksgiving Day, only about 10 days before December 7th. Mm -hmm. And uh, the whole town was in celebration for that 10-day period. Uh, one thing I noted, though, the last few, well, the, in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 50s and 60s, the rivalry was kind of intense such that there was uh, no love between them. But back in uh, 1941, after the uh, delivery of the despised trophy to the Clarksville captain, mm -hmm. both teams were treated to a free Thanksgiving dinner at Ms. Ship's Cafe on East Main. So they yeah, sat City out. Cafe. They sat out. Ms. Ship's. Yeah, well, that was, a, that was the proof. That was the start of it. Uh, I think. Uh, I don't think so. Ships was the best restaurant in town at that time, according to some of those I've talked to who were in the class of 1942, Ms. Ships. Well, in the class of 1942? Yeah, they're the ones who oh, were that, Oh, school. that's right. That was your class, right? And, uh, no, that's one we're talking about. <laughs> they started out in, in September 1941. That football was clearly the most impressive thing going on. Yeah. And in December, all that changed. Mm -hmm. And in fact, a lot of the boys disappeared. Yeah, that, that's and, the bad uh, thing. Yeah. And, uh, well, it, it all worked out. But uh, that, that was quite a thing. Uh, we mentioned Roy uh, was a native of Westview. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, his that was the upper class part of town. Yeah, that guy. was literally, I think that's where the phrase, the other side of the tracks yeah. came <laughs> from. And his, uh, Roy's nephew uh, gave a little bit of a eulogy and talked about uh, the rough neighborhood they grew up in and how his older uh, uncle, I guess, yeah, Uncle Roy, mm -hmm. uh, when he was out with Uncle Roy, he felt like he was 10 feet tall because he knew nobody would mess with him if Roy was along. Uh, pretty story. But he mentioned that uh, walking King's Highway, and that reminded me the Westview. Westview did not exist as a community until about 1912. And it was founded by two individuals who were developers who acquired the property. The property was still at that time, well, it, it was on a bluff over the creek and over mm -hmm. the railroad. And probably the reason they named it Westview is to the west of the railroad, west of town, and you were up a little higher, you had a view. Uh, a fellow named Raglan and a fellow last named King uh, were the developers, and they acquired property from the Lytle estate to the west, uh, the Ledbetter estate to the uh, east southeast mm -hmm. and uh, had a fairly large track much of which is still intact but uh, 
the further development more recent has has taken some of it down uh, but people wonder why is it called King's Highway? Was there a visit by a king, or, or what? What? What's the reason for King's Highway, mm -hmm. in a community just right next to the railroad? The reason's obvious. Mr. King was a developer, and decided to put his name on the main main route through there. Mm -hmm. That was 19, about 1910, 11, 1912. So it's fairly. Mm -hmm. In terms of the development of the uh, old part of Merseburg, it was fairly recent. It was a blue-collar area, actually. It was developed in order to provide, well, the marketing strategy was mm -hmm. inexpensive housing for the working class whites. Yeah. It was clearly intended as a white community. Remember when we talked about uh, the Merseburg Housing Authority uh, many years later, when they built the first two uh, housing projects, subsidized housing projects. Mm -hmm. The one over near what's now Holloway uh, was for the black population. Mm -hmm. The one out on New Salem, what's now New Salem, and has now disappeared, mm -hmm. uh, was for the white community. So, you know, still it was recognized Westview as the working class white community. Mm -hmm. And at the time, there were a number of industrial uh, operations right in that area. The ribbon factory being a source of employment for a lot of the Westview community. Mm -hmm. uh, we've written and talked about it before because in that period, which actually began after the end of Reconstruction, a very popular inexpensive housing uh, style, which came to be called shotgun housing, yeah. uh, was being built rapidly all around the southeast. And Westview is our best example of some of that. You have the shotguns like... Uh, uh, some years later, in the 20s, 1920s, uh, part of the original community was taken for the school. Mm -hmm. And McFadden School was built and, and took that part of it. But today, right behind McFadden School is an excellent example of the uh, surviving shotgun-style house. And I drove by the other day, and the owners who, have, through the family, owned it for many decades, they're taking real good care of it. Looks good. And there's two uh, right together there behind McFadden. Then you go on up the street and you have the double barrel shotgun. And if you look at it again, you can see how it's two shotguns put together as a duplex. Mm -hmm. And there's several uh, examples of that. And uh, I have talked many times about our uh, tax abatement program. And I remind people who may be owners of some of those properties over there, they qualify just like a historic house on East Main would qualify. The shotgun house is a... No, that's the first time we brought that up. Yeah, is a, a historic example of the architecture of that period, which was we were all over the southeast emerging from Reconstruction and the industrialization of the south was beginning and the need for rapid building of... Uh, housing for a working class uh, was going strong. And that's when this shotgun house style was developed. It wasn't called that originally, that is later. Uh, so that's basically considered a historic area right now. I don't think it's through been, Murfreesboro. Yeah, it should be designated. Yeah. Uh, particularly that King's Highway stretch from the school down towards the Reuben Mill. And uh, some of the people we've written and talked about uh, well, one that comes to mind is Jerry Warner, the late Jerry Warner, mm -hmm. World War II uh, uh, veteran. 
died, I think, just last within the last year or two. He did. He was raised there and had an awful lot of stories and memories of Westview. And uh, how they were they were some of the most entertaining stories I've ever heard. Uh, we had Jerry on uh, on the radio, but that's been a long time ago. We had him on several times. Yeah, and he loved to talk about what he remembered of Westview and the people that came out of Westview. Some that, yeah. some that went the wrong way, and many that uh, turned into very strong contributing citizens. And one of his best friends happened to go the wrong way. <laughs> and, and, but he was over in Japan when Jerry was over there. Yeah, we're talking about Spence Edwards. Yeah, and, and some of the more interesting stories I've ever heard yeah. in my life. It quickly, Spence Edwards is the only Rutherford Countyan that I've, I've been able to identify who made the FBI most wanted list, top ten. Yeah. Uh, well, a dubious uh, Well, he was successful in one thing, right? <laughs> yeah. Very interesting. Very yeah. interesting. You listen to Jerry Warner talking about the black market going on in Japan. Uh, it, it was just, uh, I, 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 I was like I was listening to Uncle Remus talk. I had to just sit there and listen and enjoy the whole thing. Well, uh, Roy Eakes uh, was over there during uh, the, some of the later years of the uh, occupation. Mm -hmm. uh, but his nephew said uh, he must have been a part of things yeah. because Roy had ended his tour and come home just as his nephew was heading over there. Mm -hmm. And the nephew says when he, when he landed, he was met by some of Roy's friends. Wow. They took care of him right away. <laughs> you know... That's the good thing about friendship. It never ends, does it? That's right. And uh, some people have the knack for making friends quickly and, and bonding with them so you, you never forget. Yeah, that is special, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Let's see. Uh, learned a little more. Remember we were talking about the Revolutionary War veteran, the grave that we're trying to restore yeah. uh, to help remember. Uh, I got some literature prepared by the Park Service, because mm -hmm. at one time the Park Service was considering purchasing that area, mm -hmm. and were aware that there was a grave there and some what uh, people believe to be the remaining foundation of the old Blanton home. Uh, and they did a study of the grave, and I had never quite understood how you determine where the grave is without digging up a body. Uh, if you uh, engage a, an expert on soil, archaeological studies of soil, you can tell the difference between undisturbed soil and refill. Mm -hmm. So if you've dug a grave, which is a big hole, and then refilled it, that soil is different to the expert. Mm -hmm. So they cut a seam just across the top of where they think there would be a... Uh, grave and I'm talking about just a few inches wide and initially just a few inches deep and look for the where the soil changes uh, and in this case they had to go about two feet down because over the years so much had compiled on top in the way of settlements or uh, whatever they got down two feet and they found that there are three graves and uh, Based upon the placement of the marker, the original placement, the middle grave is our revolutionary veteran, Thomas Blanton. Mm -hmm. But we have no identification of the other two because on either side of the 
Thomas, was there a name there uh, that Thomas Bland. designates that? Okay. Yeah, it's on the stone that we're trying to restore. Yeah. And we know where it was. But on the right and on the left and on the right are other graves. The one on the right, and this is uh, uh, theoretical, but the Christian practice is the wife is always buried to the right of the husband. And uh, I hadn't focused on that, but apparently that's you know fairly consistent. Yeah. Uh, and so the speculation is uh, the Park Service, based upon the the research, is that the grave to the right of Thomas Blanton is his wife. Her name was Priscilla, mm-hmm. although she went by Scylla. Yeah. Uh, the grave to the left is a mystery. Could it uh, be a child? Could, well, it's a full size. Yeah. You know, uh, but it could be a child. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there also is in the in the uh, historic literature references to a Confederate officer dying in the house, which was used as a hospital mm-hmm. by both both sides at different times in the in the battle. Uh, so he may be the one buried there. Just convenient. Here's a cemetery, you know, buried there. I don't have the identification there. In fact, I'm not sure that we even know any identification. We just know that a uh, Confederate was buried in that area. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's interesting. Adds to the history. What I think we're going to end up doing, the stone is so badly damaged that I don't think we can put it together so it would stand. But we can hopefully either, well, hopefully we can put it, uh, piece it back together and lay it flat or with a slight incline. And then I hope to be able, depend to some extent on funding, I hope to be able to put another plaque, a modern plaque, uh, that explains about the grave to the right and the Blanton and the Blanton home, which is uh, near where the grave is. Some of those other things too. So we'll have a a good memorial for a revolutionary hero, but uh, also a good opportunity to detail a little more of our local history. You do such a good job dealing, dealing with those things. Uh, you, you not only keep history um, in, in a manner of accuracy and truth, which, which, is, which is something that really needs to be done. There, there are so many times that uh, uh, we do not get the uh, true story of the things that happen during those times and and you think about it i mean it really affected our community in in such a uh, terrible way because uh, during that particular war um it wasn't just the the soldiers that were affected uh in in a negative way many of them lost limbs uh, many of them of course died during that uh, terrible war that we had during that time but people who uh, lived in this area who really didn't have any idea what was going on as far as the war, what, what were all the reasons that uh, people were fighting and, and, and killing each other. Many people lost their lives and uh, uh, in, in all their properties uh, just because the, the war came through this area. And uh, it's, a, it's a sad thing that the... That, that, uh, the victims are uh, that are a major part of the war 
are, are, are not listed as victims. They're listed as the bad people because they lived on in this particular area uh, during the time. It's a sad thing when uh, uh, people keep living the war in such a negative way. Uh, they weren't affected uh, uh, during that time, but these particular people um, that were during that particular era, uh, it, it, it's a shame that uh, they're listed in, in like they were uh, the aggressors or whatever. And I, and I really have have a hard time dealing with that. Well, we we are living through a time when the history of the American Civil War. Uh, is being revised. Yeah. And uh, ten years ago, when I first took the uh, uh, county historian role, it used to really offend me when I would see that. And we saw, even ten years ago, a beginning of that. And then, as you go deeper into the real records, and you find so much that we were taught, uh, also was apparently... Uh, contemporary use of the history for a contemporary purpose. Yeah, and uh, that's what we're seeing now, uh, and a heavy emphasis on that Civil War period. I have come to be more patient uh, about it because that seems to be a cycle that you know this political or economic interest is dominant at this time, and so. There are those who look back to the history to find justification for their position on it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as we get on down down the road and down through life, other interests emerge as, as popular. That's really what it is, a popular interest. Uh, and things will go the other way. Uh, the real record, though, and I've emphasized many times, there are records that we can't dispute. Uh, in our own uh, archives and the courthouse and such, mm -hmm. those don't change. So, uh, you know, I'm always saying, well, let's look to the real record and see what, what can we learn learn about that. And sometimes it's, it's so trivial, but it's interesting because it reflects something. I came across a record uh, the other day uh, involving property and a family who lived on the corner of Highland and East College, mm -hmm. the Womack fam family. Yeah. Uh, John died a couple of years ago. Mark is still living. He's 98, I think, and is in the Chattanooga area. He's my authority on the railroad. Mm -hmm. Remember and document everything that happened on the railroad, including when your great uncle was promoted. Yeah. Uh, the uh, boys, they were uh, young, I think, uh, yeah, they would have been pre-teen. Uh, were playing in the front yard and a stray dog came up. And they initially were playing with the dog. The dog seemed rather irritable. And and I should have this fellow's name, but a neighbor was driving by and saw the boys and the dog and then recognized that the dog was behaving in a particular pattern. That's bad news. Uh, yeah. And uh, the driver stopped in front of the house, just in the street, ran into the yard and grabbed a garden rake that happened to be handy and killed the dog. Mm -hmm. The dog was, of course, rabid, yeah. rabies, hydrophobia. And uh, at that time, it was determined that neither one of the boys had been bitten, so they were not treated uh, 
hopefully they were observed for a while. But uh, I can relate to that one. Yeah, and today, if uh, it happened out in Donald's Chapel, a uh, rabid skunk was found in a yard. Everybody in the, in the family of the, that home mm-hmm. uh, went through a series of uh, vaccinations, inoculations as a precaution. Back then, they just uh, decided, well, they didn't get bitten, so I guess they're safe. But that was not that unusual back in the... Depression area. This would have been in the 30s. Yeah. Uh, that uh, hydrophobia was one of those things we worried about and, and uh, kept up with. If you've ever had to go through those shots after you have been infected with it, you'll always remember it. I was four years old when I had my shots. Oh my. Yeah, right. and I can still remember the light uh, coming down right on my stomach while they were working on me. Mm. It, it's something you don't want to have to do. Well, it still is, I'm told, but quite unpleasant. And it involves a series of injections, not yeah. just... Yeah. And this county has a, a large number of rabid animals here. And, right? and mostly uh, in, in skunks. Skunks for whatever. Well, that's what we, our encounter was. Yeah. Uh, Fortunately, that's one of the areas where we get almost universal compliance, and that's animal vaccination. Yeah. So you don't see it in pets, but the wild, in particular the skunk, seems to be a problem. Yeah. You know, the the one about probably the greatest attorney that ever lived, um, he, uh, he had to shoot one. Do you remember that? Yeah. In fact, the... Uh, yeah, that was one of the real lessons of uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah, uh, was destroying the dog, and and you have to completely destroy them. Uh, yeah, if you don't, uh, you can still be in, infected by a dead animal, which is one of the sad things that uh, you have to deal with here. Yeah, To Kill a Mockingbird is a sin. To kill an animal that is threatening is the right thing to do. Yeah. And he, of course, was applying that to uh, how would it... uh, The lesson of that story was that uh, the analogies that were given with respect to the rabid dog and the mockingbird could apply to humans as well, to the people as well. And that... uh, The trial itself was a great lesson and people um, not putting someone, uh, not not tagging that particular person as, as somebody who uh, really doesn't need to be along with others. I mean, it, it was really, uh, that was a sad commentary on life as it was back in those days. But you had people who were fighting for the right cause, and that, that was pretty special. Did you uh, see that movie before you... Uh, um, read the book? No, before before you, no. Let me think. I, I was trying to remember when that uh, when that uh, was first written. Um, I, I I can't remember. But when, when did you like when did seen, you take your bar? Oh, I went through the bar considerably later. Uh, I'm pretty sure that we were reading To Kill a Mockingbird in school in the '60s, late '60s. Though now whether it was a new book at the time. I don't know why I was thinking it was probably in the the 50s, 
late 50s, early 60s. Could well be, but the book was part of the required reading list for many of us yeah. during the 60s. And uh, yeah, she also could spin a good tale as well as the involved. Well, she had a good person helping her, supposedly. He, at least he said he helped her, Truman Capote. Yeah, and uh, he denied that Bonnie Golightly was his uh, model for Holly Golightly, too. Yeah. Here, here's a good question. I've got it on my computer. If Pearl Harbor was to happen today, would the American people unite like they did back in, in 1941? Uh, I'm certain that they would not unite like they did in 1941, mm -hmm. but hopefully it would be a uh, unifying event to some extent. Uh, it was a simpler world back then yeah, and uh, more complex today. An example would be nationalizing. Uh, Roosevelt literally took over and controlled major uh, corporations of that time, the industrial corporations. Yeah. In fact, I was speculating just a few days ago, uh, having learned that Ford, under the family leadership, in the late 30s, 37, 38, started making warplanes mm -hmm. very quietly. You know, apparently dedicated one of their plans to making warplanes. Was Ford management just really getting ahead of the curve on their own initiative? Uh, or perhaps at the suggestion of, of the Roosevelt administration, or had the Roosevelt administration quietly taken over already? Mm -hmm. And uh, essentially uh, what uh, Roosevelt, through his administration, was doing was telling uh, Ford and others, starting tomorrow or starting next week, you're making this, and that's all you're going to make until... They did that with the bombs, the two bombs. They did that, yeah, but they yeah. did that with uh, the major Ford, GM, GE, right. uh, Chance, Vought, all these companies of that period were taken over to the extent that they were told what they were going to make. They yeah. were told what money was going to come to them in exchange for that. And uh, until further notice, you're working for us. So yeah. today we'd be, <laughs> we'd be in court for months arguing about which the, side would you represent uh, <laughs> I, I think i would be saying let's move quickly and worry about it later yeah you can always make re reparations with payments you would have me cheering out of my chair yeah, right. doing that one. Right. right yeah all right it's been fun but i believe we're out of time well it has been fun and it's always fun i don't remember what have we we've been on together for Ten years, at least. And, uh, and and the amazing thing is, you were looking I, for a job in 2010 and uh, asked me to help. If I remember right. Yeah, so, yeah that's ten years. Yeah. <laughs> so we, uh, I don't rem remember a bad show ever during that <laughs> in, entire time. I do. Uh -oh. uh, on uh, the morning, I'm driving in. Oh, my phone here rings. Here we go. My phone rings, and uh, you are on your way. Not in an ambulance, but I think maybe one of your boys was driving you yeah. to the hospital. And uh, it was uh, a difficult show for me because uh, Brian pitched in to help a little bit. But uh, you survived, came back real strong. Yeah. And uh, But 
I remember that show very well. We talked about... I can remember calling you. Yeah, we talked about the Emancipation, uh, the so-called Emancipation Proclamation, which didn't emancipate anybody. Yeah. And uh, Brian pitched in a little bit and helped. helped. Brian's good. Yeah, he came in and sat with me. Yeah. uh, Asked a few questions. Uh, But, of course, all that time I was thinking about what's going on with Truman. What's... And uh, he had a little uh, heart problem, if I remember right. Yeah, it was little. It wasn't nothing. In, wasn't anything to it. Uh-huh. Open chest surgery. Well, well, I mean, it really wasn't. <laughs> did Did you feel any concern at all? Really? Yeah, I thought I might have to do this. <laughs> wouldn't that be terrible? Yeah, That's a bad thing about uh, it. Oh yeah. If he <laughs> If he croaks, I got to do this. Uh-huh. I got to pitch in for right, right. the next ten years. And suddenly, this is work. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Truman. Thank you, Greg. All right, guys. We will see you in the morning at 9, and we will have the new uh, 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 Class 6A football champion on in the morning, Kevin Creasy, and we'll be talking about Oakland football. We'll see you then. From NHC's Adams Place, Home of premier senior living on Memorial Boulevard. It's the Truman Show on News Radio WGNS, FM 100.5 and 101.9, AM 1450, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com.